right, guys, you're back with the Spice Cast. I'm Ben Job. We got a treat for you today. Mr. John Storm, singer songwriter, a longtime southerner, I suppose. <laughs> Thanks for coming in, John. <laughs> Born and bred, right? Yes, sir. So I read in your bio that uh, you spent some time growing up in Macon, uh, Georgia. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I had first lived here in Huntsville when mm-hmm. I was very young, but we, uh, my dad was a radio announcer. And oh, really? We did a lot of moving. Um, but the longest uh, place I think we lived was in Macon, mm-hmm. and that's where I was introduced to some of the, the biggest influences on my music. So was your first experience with uh, music like in the radio station kind of setting? or? Oh, yeah. I was sitting on my dad's knee, uh-huh. probably at WBHP in Hunt- when he worked here really? in Huntsville. Or, um, and then there was another one, w- WFUN in Huntsville Pretty when cool. I was very young. But I would he would let me open boxes of uh, radio. Equipment and stuff like that. Well, no, of the records that came in. Oh, right, yeah. They yeah. were radio versions, uh-huh. and um, my favorites were always Sun Records. But right, <laughs> he let me take them out, and sometimes I could go in another room and audition them on a turntable. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so your uh, uh, random mutterings might be on there somewhere on the <laughs> 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 on the air, I guess. So, uh, when did you start playing the music, like uh, physically drums and stuff like that? Well, I first started playing bongos with some college students who played folk music mm-hmm. near where I lived in LaGrange. But then I got into drums in the school band, and I, uh, thought, okay. I drove my parents crazy <laughs> trying to figure out how to do a paradiddle, even on a rubber and wood you know, practice pad. Right. But, um, then I, I got into a band in Macon called mm-hmm. the Impalas. And I played drums. My parents bought me a set of Blue Sparkle Sling Very drums. cool. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I was often running with music, but I was a drummer for a long time. Did your band focus on uh, uh, covers or original music, or was there any bands that really influenced you to start a band? Well, um, I, I remember real well playing... Um, the Ventures songs, like mm-hmm. Walk, Don't Run, and mm-hmm. boy, boy, I'm really giving away my age. But, um, <laughs> no, we we played a, a wide variety of music. We did covers. That's what we were uh-huh. doing. And we were, because that's what everybody wanted to hear right. at, at shows and dances and things. So we were doing whatever was popular then. Right. And yep. that, I'm sorry, go ahead. I know, I was saying, like, a lot of guys... Uh, Got, grew up playing in those teen dances and like that's something that i you know never got experience to and it's like it's a whole venue that i really wish was around you know around still oh like yeah the big yeah just for young people to go and stuff like that yeah we played skating rinks and uh-huh. national guard armories and <laughs> we'd get part of the door and right. one of our biggest that that early bands mm-hmm. um well we also played some really dark dingy places dives <laughs> down on the mean streets of Macon. Uh-huh. but um one of the great uh experiences i had with that band was playing on a on a battle of the bands out at lakeside amusement park outside of macon mm-hmm. and one of the groups that played on it and we we they won and we were second so we got to play a whole week with them out there it was okay. called there were johnny jenkins and the pine toppers uh-huh. And I used to sit on the old Coke machine. You know, it was the kind you open from the top and slide the Cokes. Now, maybe you've never even seen one, but with their lead singer. Uh, mm-hmm. And we'd sit, and the owner would come by and say, stop kicking my Coke machine with your boot heels. And we would just be um, shooting the breeze. And, <laughs> and uh, he was a young, local mm-hmm. local singer. Johnny Jenkins was the star of that band. And he, okay. he became a mentor for uh Jimi hendrix later and because oh, wow. he played guitar behind his head and upside down mm-hmm. and lying on his back and and he was he was an amazing guitar player but the lead singer was a local boy named otis redding wow awesome <laughs> and uh i think in one of the songs we're going to play um i think it's one of the songs we're going to play memphis pointed train yeah there's a verse in there that's actual. That's sort of semi-autobiographical, right? And uh, it talks about being out there when Otis came in with his first single in a big ratty cardboard box, and he was handing them out. It was <laughs> it was Fat awesome. Gal, 
uh-huh. backed by Shout Bama Lama. And if you've never heard them, look them up <laughs> and hear them. <laughs> very cool, very cool. Yeah, I'll have to look out for that one. Yeah. Uh, so you started playing drums. What brought you into the composing side of it and making your own music? Were you just uh, playing drums and then switched to a different instrument, or did it just come to you no matter what? I wanted to write songs. Uh-huh. I think the the song that made me feel like I had to write songs was Kathy's song by uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Mm-hmm. I I longed to one day write something that had that kind of beauty and love in it. So it was after we moved back to Huntsville, as a matter of fact, in 1965. Mm-hmm. And that year, a lot of things happened to me. One of them is I met the one true love of my life, mm-hmm. and I didn't know it. Know it. But... My mother also bought me a guitar. And so I drove mm. them crazy then and made my fingers bleed <laughs> trying to learn how to finger pick. Uh-huh. And I wrote my first song right down here, probably maybe half a mile from where we're sitting. Oh, that's awesome. On Francis Street. Very cool. And, um, and then that person who I said mm-hmm. was came back into my life decades later inspired me to write one of the songs that we're going to hear later too wow very cool very yeah well uh let's go ahead and hear this first one it's uh come on home to me you want to talk about it a little bit before we hear it or (laughs) this song almost has to speak for itself all right it's just a (laughs) a rocking piano sort of blues with a horn Mm -hmm. section that i love going into the bridge (laughs) and for some reasons it's just one of the songs i had so much fun doing i always love it All right, very cool. This is Come On Home to Me with John Storm. around so everyone can hear it <laughs> hello everybody <laughs> that was john storm <laughs> with uh, flopping com- around that's right yeah john storm <laughs> throwing things in the studio now um that was come on home to me uh with that that nice piano breaking us in i was wondering was this composed on guitar or piano like it's it sounds like it's a real natural piano led song well i wrote it on guitar because uh-huh. i can't play piano <laughs> like that that was a guy amazing pianist named Dennis Wage. He uh-huh. came into a little basement studio I had on McGavick Pike in, in Nashville, in the basement of my home. 
Mm -hmm. And he put down that piano part in one take. Oh, right. Sometimes the best ones. Yeah. Just one take. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, was that your, that's off which album? That's Troublemaker. That was my first album. Mm -hmm. So that was your first self-produced album too. Yeah. It had started with a a girl named Carrie Grace. I was doing a solo, I mean, a duo act. A solo act with all these people. Solo act with a girl. (laughs) Those are the hardest uh, ones to do. Yeah, they really are. (laughs) That takes talent. Now, um, we were working on an album together. Mm -hmm. We were were going by Storm and Grace and playing around Nashville. That's a great name. I like it. That's how it became John Storm. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, well, she was already... It's a long story we don't need to tell. But um, <laughs> we played at, like, Windows on the Cumberland and the mm-hmm. Bunganut Pig out near in Franklin. And oh, cool. We, we played around Nashville. And we were working on an album together. Mm-hmm. And then we split up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but some yep, of our happens. songs ended up... You know, ones we sing together are on Troublemaker. But that became my solo album. Very cool, and I hear I hear a lot of like um, Dylan esque kind of influence in the vocals here. Like, do you want to talk about that at all? Nah, Dylan, nah. who? Yeah, yeah, who is <laughs> who is Bob Dylan? No one. <laughs> There's only one song where I I will admit probably um, I let a little Dylan slip in, uh-huh. and that was uh, too much, not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but because, but never mind because. But I some people have told me. There's some Dylan in, in mm-hmm. me, uh, in my voice sometimes. Right. I don't do it consciously. It's just me. It's how it yeah, comes well, out. Yeah, you hear music and that, that's what it comes to part. Yeah. So uh, we got Memphis Pointed Train next. Uh, I, like, I like this one. It, it's kind of like almost a, uh, one of those going back home kind of heartfelt, you know, about, about going home and stuff. Do you want to talk about that one and when it was created and all that? Well, I couldn't tell you exactly what it was created uh-huh. without going back and looking at the files. But um, <laughs> it was sometime in the early 2000s, late 1990s mm-hmm. or early 2000s. It probably t- took several years to put the whole thing together. There's a long acapella um, introduction on the full version of uh-huh. it that's also on... The uh, "Don't You Lie to Me" album, but we're, mm-hmm. I think we're going to stick with the sh- the radio version that leaves that off. But um, it's just I, I've always loved this kind of New Orleans Delta slide guitar blues, and, yeah. And the song just came to me that way, and luckily I was able to uh, get it produced in a way that sounded at least similar to what I was hearing in my head and that's and it's a little bit autobiographical that's the one that talks about mm-hmm. Lakeside and Otis and Johnny Jenkins no oh, very cool yeah and uh that I think that's the the big gap where people you get the idea for it and it's just like trying to make it come to life that's the really challenging part it's like yeah it makes sense in my head but how am I gonna pull it off you know kind of thing oh it's it's just one of the the most grueling, agonizing things <laughs> I think anybody can face because, mm-hmm. yeah, you hear it in your own universe. Making, right. making it, you have to bring it into the world almost, it's like a birthing process. You, right. you have, it painful work. Yeah. It takes a long time and a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And um, usually, well, at least for me, the the results fall short of what I had envisioned. But, well, yeah, in your head, it can be it can be as awesome as you want it to be, right? Exactly. <laughs> but we'll take it as it comes. That's I guess. right. <laughs> so, do you find your your songs like change a lot in that creative process? Like they they come out um, different, or is it usually just like they get close? <laughs> Some have changed a little bit, mm-hmm. but mostly I am so doggedly determined to to get <laughs> right it to be what I originally intended mm-hmm. that. I'll invest so many hours in it, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Very cool. Well, let's hear it. This will be John Storm with Memphis Pointed Train. My angel called from Memphis 
this She said, boy, you're overdue I said, ain't you mind Better get in line The rent's ahead of you She said, I don't want your money, honey I want your sugar cane So drop that phone Start climbing on that Memphis pointed train That was Memphis Pointed Train by John Storm, and uh, I read in your bio that you had done some work for MCA and then gone turned back to the independent side of things. You want to talk about that and the the change and all the the different the different uh, pr- the ways people produce music, I guess. And it's, there's a sigh there. <laughs> yeah, there's a sigh there. I, I'm not sure where to start the story. I'd like mm-hmm. to start it here in Huntsville, right down here, Five Points. Surely, two oh seven. Well. Cut that out. Never mind. Never mind what I said. <laughs> but on White Street is where we lived when I first uh-huh. moved here. And um, I I started playing drums then in an old band here called Yesterday's Children. Uh-huh. But before I got started that, I used to go up to the Epic Club, which I don't know if you've heard of it, but it was mm-hmm. big. In, it was right in Five Points. And, oh, cool. And at the time, the featured band there was... Um, Ivy Joe and Snowballs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you know about Ivy Joe, but he is a he's a legend around uh-huh, here. Yeah, and the band name was derived from the fact that Ivy Joe was black and the Snowballs were all white. Mm-hmm. Well, I went up to the Epic because I lived real close. I'd walk over there, and I was talking to Ivy Joe one time, and I told him I just the band I just come from. I used to do a James Brown impression. Uh-huh. And he was like, "What?" <laughs> said, well, you yeah. want to hear that, right? And he said, "You got to get up here and do this with me. I want you to sit in." And I said, well, and he huddled the band together and we uh-huh. talked. And I actually did. Ivy Joe, Ivy Joe went up on stage and said, "We got a special guest. It's the little white Mister Dynamite." And okay, I went up there and I did this. I had seen James Brown's homecoming show in Macon, which uh-huh. was it went on for like nine hours wow. with James <laughs> Brown in the end. Uh-huh. And um, so, but the irony in this, and what was so funny is I, Ivy Joe would, was the one who would come over and put the cape on me. 
while we were doing please, please, please. Okay, I told you that to tell you this. I met this guy named Tom Rip, who was mm-hmm. going to um, Huntsville High. And I had my guitar by then, and we started writing songs together and performing. Mm-hmm. Okay, <clears throat> I followed somebody who I'd gotten with in high school to Kansas City. She became a TWA stewardess, and then she got transferred to L.A., and that's how I ended up in L.A. Uh-huh. That was a stormy relationship, and the short stories it ended. Mm-hmm. It was a disastrous ending, and one day I was still in school because if I hadn't been, I would have been on the next plane to Saigon, and I just wasn't really interested in a vacation over there. So Uh when the draft um, lottery came up and I was out of it, I quit school, and I called Tom Rip back in Huntsville and said, Tom, come out to um, California. Let's go to L.A. and be rock and roll stars. Uh So he was all for it, huh? He was out within a week. <laughs> he came out to where I was in San Bernardino, and we hitchhiked mm-hmm. to L.A. Now, I'm sure you know how many thousands of people flocked to Los Angeles yeah. probably every month mm-hmm. looking to... To hit it big, right? Yeah, somehow. Uh-huh. I knew one person in Los Angeles. I had met her at a party, and she said she was involved in the music business in San Bernardino. Uh-huh. And she had given me her number literally on a matchbook. <laughs> and Tom and I hitchhiked with our guitars and one suitcase each into Hollywood and went to a payphone and I called her. I'm, I'm making this as quick as I can, but you've got to know this story. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. She lived in the basement apartment of a huge mansion up on Laurel Canyon mm-hmm. Boulevard. That actually had peacocks walking around the ground. Wow. And it was the home of some old silent movie star, some woman who was like a recluse. Nobody ever saw her, but uh-huh. she rented out this huh. basement thing. So this girl put Tom and me up for a few days. Mm-hmm. And during one of them, she said, hey, I have a friend I'm going to call named Don Williams. Mm-hmm. She got off the phone and said, Don's going to meet you down at the Laurel Canyon store um, this afternoon <laughs> on his way home. And we said, okay, whoever Don Williams is. So we walked down to the Laurel Canyon, the famous Laurel Canyon store. I didn't know it was famous. It's just, they had tables outside with big umbrellas and, you know, sort of patio tables. Mm -hmm. And uh, we sat there because that's where he told us he would meet us. And he pulled up in a BMW and, you know, it was Hollywood. Right, and he came. We were the most ragamuffin looking two people (laughs) you can imagine. Just got off the road from. Yeah. And um, he came up and he said, all right, let's hear what you got. Right there, outdoors on the patio on the table. Mm-hmm. We played him probably six songs. He bought two on the spot. He wow. whipped out contracts. Mm-hmm. And that month he got mine recorded. And <laughs> by the end of that month, he had signed both Tom and me as contracted staff songwriters with MCA, which was the largest publishing conglomerate in the world. So lucky you had that matchbook where you didn't lose it. And I, this, <laughs> this is exactly how that took place. Wow. So that's, uh, so what happened uh, to get you out of it? Commerciality. Yeah. Couldn't stand it. One day, Don Williams, we were in the office, the MCA office, they had a little writing studio with some recording equipment mm-hmm. and stuff and bongos. <laughs> Started bongos and, into yeah, bongos, right? Exactly. It's all about it. <laughs> and um, Don Williams, we were in there and he just came. Right, Don was pretty excitable. This is not the Don Williams country artist. This is Don Williams mm-hmm. who actually has DW. MG, I think, the Don Williams Music Group. He, okay. He can he today controls the um, catalogs of like well, I think Hendrix and wow, okay, and um some well anyway Bob Marley, mm-hmm. um but <clears throat> he came rushing into the room kind of breathless and he said, Tom, John, write me another up up and away, and he turned around and left. And Tom and I just sat there looking at each other like two cats because it was, this is not what we came here for. You're always right. chasing the latest hit. 
uh-huh. you know. So we just mm-hmm. turned in four or five songs a month each, and some of them we wrote together, some individually. And after about a year, I walked in and I asked, um, well, it was Warren Brown was the West Coast vice president. He was the brother of Les Brown, of Les Brown and his band of renowned fame. And I said, Warren, I'd like out of my contract. And he just stared at me. He said, nobody has ever asked out of a contract with MCA. Uh-huh. I said, well, I am. Is there any way we can do it without penalty? Uh-huh. Apparently, it took the lawyers like a week to figure out how it could be done. <laughs> but I did get out, and I decided I was going to write and produce my own music. Mm-hmm. And that's the story. Very cool. Yeah. It, it, I mean, there's, there's something to be said to trying to put creativity in a box like that and just have it on order. It's like, you're only going to get what you take out, you know, if you're asking them to do specific. It's like, oh, yeah, we need a fast country song of this type, you know. <laughs> exactly. and It's like, it's got to be just this speed and all that. Right. Like, you think about all those um, those those uh, walls you put up around this one object, you're only going to get so much out of it, you know. Exactly. And, and, and fighting against that, I'm sure, is pretty difficult, too. Trying to strain your creative juices in just, uh, just to this one point that they want, you know. So uh, how did how did going about uh, was was there a big feeling of freedom when you got your first stuff made? Did huge, you feel like very <laughs> huge sense of accomplishment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't even try to describe to anybody what it took to get there because yeah. it was just it took so many years, and um, you know until the computer came along mm-hmm. and really got powerful enough. To use sampled instruments and to be able to record unlimited tracks, I didn't have a, I didn't have any hope. Right. Well, it's it's all you know when it's all on tape and stuff. I mean that's expensive stuff, and the and the gear is so out of. That's what's uh, great about today. I mean, people with there's these people with a laptop, you know, and a tiny mic, but they can still get something, you know, on tape and on the internet. Yes. And man, that's we're hearing music that I know we would have never heard, you know even 10 years ago or something. Right, and I find it endlessly exciting and... Oh, yeah. ...inspiring. Well, very cool. Well, you said uh, Love Is You kind of had a, a story in uh, Genesis over here in Huntsville, too? Yes, it did. So, it's, would you like to talk about that one? It started at Huntsville High School. Mm-hmm. In the smoking court. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. Yes, they actually had a smoking court mm-hmm. back then. And... Um, this girl came out where I was standing talking to my best friend. I was pretty new in, in Huntsville at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, she was his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And she fell in love with me, and I was totally smitten by and, and in love with her, but neither of us ever led on to the other, and neither really knew it. Hmm. So life took us on different paths with different people. As I told you my story, going to Kansas City and then to L.A. And neither of us knew where the other was or if the other even existed anymore. And then decades later, um, through a fluke of email, I had written written a, a message about one of our classmates from Huntsville High School who had died. And it went out to... Uh, a high school reunion list. And she mm-hmm. was on it with an email address I never would have re- recognized at all. Right. And she saw my message, and to hear her tell it, she stood up so fast that she almost knocked her chair over. Uh, she emailed me within a very short time that day, and we maintained a, um, a correspondence over a few years. Mm-hmm. And then December 2013, well, she had family and friends in Huntsville and in Athens. And she had had been coming to Huntsville fairly regularly. She lived on the far coast, on the left coast, the one I'd uh-huh. come back from by right. then. And um, I was living in a rustic cabin out in the middle of the woods in Tennessee on the 100% buffalo-less Buffalo River. <laughs> and, but it was way out in the sticks. Mm-hmm. And... She said, I just, I have to see you. I, I, 
it's been all these years. Mm-hmm. So she drove several hours up to where I lived. I was working on my third album, Cashmere, yeah. at the time. And um, when she finally got there, I was standing up you know, next to the cabin, and there was a very long driveway up it ran next to a cow pasture on one side and, and woods mm-hmm. on the other that surrounded the cabin. And there was a light rain falling. And um, she got up to the cabin and stopped, flung open the door and leapt out. And the song uh, has to tell the story as far as it can be told. I first held you in the rain Years of loss, years of pain Washed away from my heart And I knew I was home, I was whole I was held there in your soul Love is real, love is true, love is you. Holding back, afraid to touch, afraid that I'd love you too much. Then our eyes met, our lips kissed, and I knew. That was John Storm and Jackie Glenn with "Love Is You." Uh, so John was there. Was there a uh, entail to that? Did that ever get resolved? Or I hope everybody who hears this will um, join me to wishing, or hoping, or praying for a happy ending. But I do mm-hmm. have something I'd like to say about that song. Surely. And it's it's hard to talk about this. But shortly after that song was released, mm-hmm. I got a message on Facebook from a young girl in Jakarta, all the way on the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. And she wrote to me in my language. I'm sure she knew I wouldn't understand hers. And <clears throat> that song is about one of the most profound, well, maybe the most profound event of my life. But this message that came to me was just as profound. And it was very simple, but the sincerity came through. And she said, I, I want to thank you for this song and the hope it has put in my heart that one day I might find a love like that. Mm. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Yeah, that's what's great about this music is, I mean... Um, people can really feel that, especially when you've got an emotional piece that just kind of billows out of you no matter what you do. I mean, some of, the, some of these songs 
when you have all these emotions, they, they're coming out no matter what kind right. of thing, right? Right. And what I was saying earlier about all the blood, sweat, and tears that's gone into my music, uh-huh. you know, over the years, all the deuce, all the places, that from right. the dives to the glitziest places and mm-hmm. the road travel and the trying you know, working till five in the morning, trying to get a song to be right. Yeah. Agonizing over rhyme and meter and melody and trying to get them to all fit. All of that over decades. Mm-hmm. I was reflecting on all that. I sat there just immobilized. Mm-hmm. And it marked every bit of it paid in full. Right. That one message. Yeah, and it's it's amazing, like... Um, your music and your experience, you know, can be shared just across the globe for one thing and then resonate <laughs> yes. so fully, you know. Yes, and and give hope to somebody. Mm-hmm. Or even if it just makes them tap their toe or right. smile <laughs> yeah. or maybe a tear. That's, but not one of sadness, but somebody else in the world has experienced this too. Yeah. Um, that Just that empathy, that connection. Mm-hmm. And... See, I think that's the mission of all arts and all artists is to try to elevate the culture and elevate individuals. Mm-hmm. Now, some people who call themselves artists uh, uh, try to appeal to the most base and disgusting elements yeah. of the human condition. Yeah, definitely. But anyone who deserves the name, I think, is always striving to make a better tomorrow because that's what mm-hmm. we're doing. We're bringing things that didn't exist into a new future. Mm-hmm. So I am so honored every time I sit among any group of artists and they let me be in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thank you for having it, or for coming out here and sharing it with all us too. But uh, speaking of like it, spiritual almost, I mean, a lot of this music has that church, choral, and gospel kind of feel to it. And I was wondering if, if um, growing up you heard a lot of that church music or if it just came through and um, playing around or what? Oh, I was uh, I was raised Southern Baptist. All right, so I definitely. Heard, <laughs> I heard gospel music all around Loud and clear, me. right? <laughs> yeah, and I think like Elvis Presley, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no good... But I, I loved, you know, black gospel music. Oh, I yeah. just... I, I couldn't get enough of it in country gospel. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, but... You know, as I've traveled around the world, I've I've done a lot of study of philosophy and, mm-hmm. and comparative religions. And one of my quests has been to bring the spirit of that music to anyone. Mm-hmm. I, I call it secular gospel. It's my own it's right. my own <laughs> genre. All right. Because I have lyrics that are not specific to any religion, yeah. but that I want to be spiritually uh, motivating definitely to appeal to the common you know spirituality of anyone who hears it and that's several of my songs are like that and i think one you want to play fits in that category yeah yeah the next one we we're gonna queue up here was uh music on the mountain it's got it does have some of those um background singers you know like yes. holding place and <laughs> I, I mean that's i feel like that's a really natural and um great way to kind of bring about energy to your listener and stuff because it it really is like a it's like a sing-along feel as well as like a choral you know planned as well as spontaneous kind of sound right we we had a grand time doing that song right it was it was just all fun that whole song and um i was very happy with the way it came out because it does have that gospel feel that i that meant so much to my life, mm-hmm. but I think it's a universal message. I hope it is. Oh yeah, and I mean anybody, um, if you haven't heard this this sort of music, go to a, a big church with like a hundred person choir and just hear <laughs> hear the hear the noise and the music and feel the energy. I mean, you're gonna feel something no matter what. I think I think uh, as long as you're human, you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna react to it in some way. Well, right. Very cool. Well, um, thanks for bringing this track along. This will be John Storm with Music on the Mountain. So many other souls that went before Never knowing the next danger 
Never knowing what the next step has in store And I might stumble, I might falter I might even lose the path along the way But I hear music on the mountain And I know that I will make it there someday John Storm with Music on the Mountain. And uh, so did your session musicians come up with a lot of those extra parts? Those kind of, I, I guess there's um, there's mandolin in there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were, the, were those mostly your creations, or did you just have a bunch of guys come in and wing it and kind of throw it all together at once? I'm sorry. That's on a need-to-know basis. <laughs> need to know? oh, okay. That's that's very, that's fine. That's fine. But it's a great track either way, you know. It's like a... It's got a very joyous vibe, so I'm glad we could include that one. <laughs> There's not a single lick probably in there that I didn't cut or copy and paste and move at least a little bit, <laughs> and sometimes by whole verses. I I mean, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, I, it's I, a lot of work. Right. Great musical sounds to work with, and, mm-hmm. and that wonderful group of background singers who yeah, yeah. just did that real spontaneously, too. Very cool. Yeah, okay. So you don't have to do a lot of planning for the background and the duet stuff, or does it come, does it come together pretty easily, or does it take a, a while of uh, composing and stuff? You know what? It's, there's no there's no general answer to that. Right. Every it's song's always, different, mm-hmm. and every performer that yeah. works on the stuff is different. And well, I'll tell you what, when you do an album with somebody, you really get to know them no matter what, though, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, but I, one thing is that I have done a, a, at least one duet on every album that I put out, and uh-huh. I try to. Yeah, um, that's cool. Originally, it was with Carrie Grace, who mm-hmm. I was doing Storm of Grace with, and then there have been several other people who have been, you know, meant a lot to me and, and came in and helped me with this, and 
I, I just I'll never thank them enough for oh very cool what they very brought. cool. Well, uh, you've got a new album coming up. Hopefully, by the end of this year. Yes. Do you want to speak on that one? Well, you got some got some little bits on Reverb Nation, right? Uh, yeah, I do. Couple tracks. Couple of tracks. I got one called "Nothing But Blues." Mm-hmm. I've got actually two duets. Um, All right. One of them with um, the girl who sang on "Love Is You" with me, mm-hmm. and then um, that's called "A Further Shore." And another song called Take Me Home, which is a duet with someone else. And um, so, and then I've got another couple of those gospel sounding songs. All right. <laughs> One, a real piano gospel thing with a big choir singing. Oh, it. awesome. So, well, I'm going to be happy to hear that. And one. that's called <laughs> Let the Spirit Come Move Me. I'm working on that. Oh, awesome. It is, it's not up yet. Um, but I am, as they're finished, I'm putting them up on Reverb Nation, but then I'm going to be start. You want to start taking them down because you know the album when the album right right released. cycle them through just give yeah. a, give people a taste. Well, yeah, I want them to be able to hear them and download them. <laughs> yeah, once when I finish them and yeah, and you're you're John Storm J O N S T O R M, and that's on uh, iTunes and Amazon. Right, they can find all your albums as well as Reverb Nation. Yes, uh, he's got three albums out so far: Troublemaker, Cashmere. And what's the other one? Don't you don't you lie, lie to me. me? Don't you lie to me? And they also have it's John Storm Troublemaker, John Storm Don't You Lie to Me, and John Storm Cashmere. Very cool. And you have a YouTube video out for one of them, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's from one of the songs off Cashmere called "You Can't Take the Country Out of Me," uh-huh. and it's a it's a talking blues, but with bluegrass and um, very cool. Yeah, yeah. I can't describe it. It's a video. That's why it's a video. But it's got some. It's got some video featuring uh, Northern Alabama and oh, all yeah. over. Some... Lots of Northern Alabama <laughs> barns and country roads. Oh yeah, and, there's a lot of that out there. So. And Sea uh, Rock City signs. Right. And, yep. Yeah. We, our listeners will probably be familiar because they yeah. drive when they're driving around. It's like it's a similar feel, but yeah, the South has its own. Uh, atmosphere that and i think it's very evident in your music i believe well that's the nicest thing anybody could possibly say (laughs) to me because i am a southern boy Uh i'm a son of the south and i uh actually when i finally found a way to get out of los angeles right and get my family out of there Mm -hmm. and i got back to this part of the country i vowed never to cross the mississippi going west again Uh uh-huh so well, I mean, they just don't make the food as good out there. <laughs> That's my problem with it. And I, it gets cold, and it's all sorts of reasons not to get leave the south. <laughs> this is my home, uh-huh. and no matter where I've gone, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I don't want to get into a cliche and start singing a cover song. <laughs> but uh, there, there is no place like home, and this is my home. Uh-huh. And um, I've been all over this country. Not all over the world, but mm-hmm. there's just no place like it. And there's nothing like the sense of being at home that I've felt since I've been back here. Yeah. Well, we're glad you could come out. And uh, it's a familiar place because you're not far from <laughs> where you started. So exactly. coming home to Spice Radio, too. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to be driving right through uh, Five Points and right, oh, yeah. right by where I found the first true love of my life and got my mm-hmm. first guitar and wrote my first song <laughs> <laughs> stars align all right yes. well thanks again for coming john and uh y'all you can get him at facebook he's got reverb nation and we'll have links to his instagram and all that all that other goodies those social media they keep adding them so we keep trying to add them ourselves but they're always like, thinking of a new social media so. you think i've made it to instagram oh yeah maybe not instagram twitter well you'll have twitter, my twitter there, see he's okay. got twitter they they want everything you know how it is <laughs> but you can look him up john storm uh, j-o-n on youtube and see that video featuring alabama and uh, get his albums on itunes and amazon and take it easy have a good night I bread alone I got to have a little jam When Gabriel starts to blow It puts a saxophone And they ask me if I'm ready I will say I am, I am, I am Cause everybody needs a little rock and roll 
production of Spice Radio from Huntsville, Alabama. You guys know what you want and you don't have to do too much to get it. Get with us at spice-radio.com. If you have a podcast, you make music or art, or you have an event that you want to promote in the Tennessee Valley, you can find us at www.facebook.com slash Spice Radio Huntsville or on Twitter at Spice Radio HSV. And again, our website, spice-radio.com.